We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How about I go ahead and address the larger than average elephant in the room? No, I have never coached the sport that you folks call football. And heck, you could fill two internets with what I don't know about football. <laughs> Hold on now. If I were to get fired from a job where I'm putting cleats in the trunk of my car. You got the boot for putting boots in the boot. <laughs> I love that. You know what the happiest animal on earth is? It's a goldfish. You know why? No. Got a 10-second memory. Be a goldfish, Sam. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the podcast where all movies are sports movies. I am your host, Kyle Banduho, and we are back with another Ted Lasso episode recap, season three, episode eight. This one just gave me a lot of anxiety. We're, we're going to dive into it. It's me, Caroline, and Alex. But first, let's shout out our big, chill producer-level patrons. That is Aaron Figueroa, Mike Schubert, Steve Rogers, Kevin Frost, Mike D., Ryan Yeager, Mike Drees, Chris Mikoski, John Craig, Sam Smith, Zachary, Jason Alba, Stephen DeBeau, Dan McFall, Kevin Inkleman, Mac Lindsay, Kurt Ritchie, Robert Dove, Jim Scroggs, Andrew Teagle, and, of course, Classic Stadium Fire. Big thanks to them and all of our patrons for supporting this show. We are going to have a new poll up for a movie to be covered. Whenever Ted Lasso is done, we've got a nice backlog of patron-selected, really great movies. They've been they've been crushing it lately, so I'm excited to get to those. But I am very happy that it is Ted Lasso season. We're down the home stretch. Four more left after this. Uh, let's, let's dive right into this one. Me, Alex, Caroline, breaking down Ted Lasso Season 3, Episode 8. All right, returning to Big Screen Sports to break down the latest episode of Ted Lasso. It is my co-host for the win and bet for the win, Caroline Darney and Alex McDaniel. Y'all, which one of us would make the best private investigator? Alex. Hands down. Definitely Alex. <laughs> I was With, trying to... Was without trying to a doubt. Yeah, no, that's not even... <laughs> no. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll tell you later. I told Alex already about some Keith Morrison action I I pulled off this week, but that's uh, a story for another time. No murders were solved, guys. Sorry, just some. I, I used Google image search and I felt very smart. So, but so see, it's not me because I just for the first time used Google image search. So yeah, it's Alex. I would be horrendous. I uh, <laughs> I am very unobservant. I am very clumsy. There is that, I think it's a direct TV commercial or something, or maybe it's Geico where it's the guy who's like, if you're, it's like, if you're a private investigator, you're supposed to be quiet. And it's the guy being guys in the trash, guys in the trash can. I, that's the one ad on TV right now. I watch every time it's on. I laugh every time it's on because I'm like, that's me. That's me following around (laughs) Michelle and Dr. Jacob just in a trash can (laughs) falling over. Look, I don't love to subscribe to gender stereotypes, but I do think that. 
um, I'll, shout, I'll shout out the ladies. I think we've got an, an innate skill to track down information about, uh, you know, we're just, we're good at it. Thank <laughs> give you. me, t- give, give Alex like a name, like a first name and like one fun fact about someone. And I guarantee, I bet you could find someone. <laughs> so here's a very two quick stories before we get into the point <laughs> of the podcast. The woman that my sister has been dating for going on two years. Okay. So I guess it'd be about like two years and three months ago, my sister texted me late one night and was like, I uh, matched this girl on Tinder or whatever. It wasn't Tinder. She will get some out of me for saying that. Whatever, whatever y'all use for your apps, probably Bumble or something. So I matched with her and like, we're really vibing. And my sister had gotten out of some like rough relationships. And so as the big sister, my first concern was like, oh man, please don't let this girl suck. And, <laughs> and she's, and I'm like, what's her name? And Mary was like, I'm not telling you. I'm like, come on. And she's like, no, because every time I give you a name, you give me a bunch of facts I didn't ask about them. I was like, Mary, just give me an H. So I'll give you a first name. Well, she gave me a first name and mentioned that she worked in pharmacy in Memphis. (laughs) How long did it take? Not only did I have her totally identified and tracked down within 20 minutes, my sister's favorite band is Fall Out Boy. I sent Mary, I didn't say a word. I sent Mary a photo of this girl when she was like 16 at a fallout boy concert she <laughs> on her Facebook profile. And I was like, I think you're soulmates. <laughs> and so they're very happy. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe I helped. That's all. Well, I was going to tell the second spread, but we're wasting time, but that's the only one you need to know. When, when we that's need, incredible. when we need a, a PI for the pod, we're, we're going to Alex. Um, everyone okay, go you. to, for the win to check out the content. I'm sure. There's lots of it. So that much gala content right now. It's a very, it's going to be a very classy week over it for the win. We've got it's coronation. It's always classy over there, but you know, uh, coronation, we got Derby guardians uh, of the galaxy, arguably yeah. the classiest like, of the Avengers the perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Not sure anyone's ever said that about Rocket, but no. lots of class. Yeah. No, but uh, we had an emotional banger this week on Ted Lasso. Mm-hmm. Um, after, I would say last week's episode was just all vibes. Like, just we're good. We're happy. Things are, we got momentum. This one brought some stressors. We are talking about season three, episode eight. We'll never have Paris. I was hoping for more like Casablanca references in this, but I'll, I'll get over it. Uh, <laughs> while, wa- while watching Henry, Ted fights the urge to spiral when Michelle and Dr. Jacob go on a romantic trip. An online leak has massive implications for Keeley. Alex, what is, what is our opening question? What is our big takeaway from this episode? That's why, first of all, I don't even think that's a fair question. <laughs> and why would you start with me? <laughs> because... <laughs> this is how it's been working. You will say one, and then Caroline will say something. No, and if Nicole or Michael so- <laughs> here, they'll say something. And then I have a list of the next five. So we're going to talk about it all. <laughs> so I want to know how Paris, in general, is going to come back up in this series before it ends. Because I think we have a lot of different... Not, and I don't mean like a, a theory kind of way. I'm not about to point out every time someone referenced Paris or France on the show. But like... I just, there's so much to it. And it's more than the Casablanca quote. I think like, we'll get into Keely in a bit, but the specific episode of Sex in the City that she was watching, the fact that Ted references that his wife loved the hotel in the finale of, like in the Parisian finale of Sex in the City. It wasn't the Parisian finale. It was the finale that had Paris in it. That's yes. different. Anyway, so I'm, 
And okay, part of we've talked about this before when they air quotes accidentally released the entire not the entire but like a big playlist of Ted Lasso stuff at the beginning of the season then they changed the list the original playlist like the last three songs were all French songs and people have wondered like how does that play into it and so that's yeah I think that's my thing and just disclaimer I'm not as prepared as I would like to be tonight because it's been another Tuesday so I'm sure a lot of you have like taken copious notes and you're ready to tell me exactly how this is going to happen. But that's my question. I think my big takeaway is, is May with the nothing's impossible 10 mm. because the, yes. the, uh, the Ted Michelle vibes were vibing. They were, vibing. Um, they were vibing hard at the bar. Yeah. And it was a mix of like you saw, cause we've previously had good interactions with Ted and Michelle not necessarily ones that illuminated what made their relationship great before they grew apart. And so I think we started to see more of that because we, we met them and they were on the rocks. Like when she came to visit, it was tense. They already had the, you know, the code words and she was crying when she was there and they broke up. Like the first time that we meet her on screen, there is like, they're, you know, we're getting divorced. And then we see a little bit of not really villainous stuff from her, but the texting his head on the road to get the divorce paper signed. And then the starting to date Dr. Jacob and whatever else. Um, so this was kind of the first, there's obviously still a lot of other things going on, seeing as she was there with Dr. Jacob. Um, but it was nice to see them, even though Ted was clearly bummed out at some of it, all of it, some of it. Um, that they like what they got along talking about like they Mm -hmm. they said similar you know she responded really well to his jokes about like you know it still makes it still feels weird and then even at the end when she says the exact same thing about dave girl learning to drum on the on the pillows like it's just so shows like how in tune they can be and have been and so i think when you say my full lean into it is i think ted takes her on that the not necessarily to propose i'm not going to jump that far ahead or whatever else but i think he takes her on that parisian trip that she wants to go on and that's going to be like the last episode like i think what we got to is that with dr jacob it's not going bad by any sense but they might Mm -hmm. not be clicking Mm -hmm. like like you needed to click with someone if you're going to spend the rest of your life with them um dr jacob is uh he's a cheese dick like he is a he's a corny ass dude. He is he is Mr. C from Abbott Elementary, but not nearly as as endearing. Charming. Because <laughs> um, there, there's that. I mean, he is not vibing with Henry, and that is important. That is extremely important if you if you are a single parent. And um, so that that's clearly not there. Henry big leagues the shit out of him at the end of the episode, which rules. <laughs> and then um, I mean, and then the the obvious of like we we've we've talked about this to quite a bit, but just the lack of morality in uh, starting to see your, you know, your former patient and Ted says something in this episode, the the response to Higgins, like, well, I'm not her father. You know, she doesn't need to ask me or he doesn't need to ask. Well, if you're going to be the new father, yeah. Assume a role in your son's life. You absolutely need to have that conversation. He has not, that's the thing with Dr. Jacob. He has not, stepped up to one acknowledge to Ted. He hasn't put out an olive branch of like, Hey man, I want to talk to you. I understand how this looks. I also mm-hmm. understand Henry's really important to you. And he is backed out. Like that is the reddest of red flags. That is a fucking red tower. 
Yeah. <laughs> Look, this is going to sound very pinky up monocle on uh but if you come back from paris weekend in paris and you say it was all right you had the worst trip possible like the worst I, paris is awesome like and if you don't leave just wanting to even if she doesn't want to tell him all the details because it was like a romantic weekend you're trying to be like cordial and polite with your ex-husband you can do better than all right like mm-hmm. that was very telling <laughs> i mean that was an interesting you know that's what they call it the city of all right <laughs> like was just yeah i'm super i did not i could not have picked out anything that happened in this episode like if you're like what do you think's gonna happen in the next episode i wouldn't have picked any of this loved it i thought it was great i thought this episode was there were probably a few things where like there were times where it got a little after school especially in the locker room um but i think it was fine because i think it's something that probably needs to be heard by a lot of people like so yeah. i was like okay with danny being the one that's like even if it's like this you know like so but yeah yeah, yeah. uh there's a couple couple other you know i think big takeaways um one is that total football works the the, the club <laughs> is the club is rolling ted is el- but ted is mentally elsewhere we are again getting to that stage where it is pretty apparent that he isn't he has he has a higher priority and um and and we see that in a big way but it's great to see that total football is working that is kind of moving us towards whatever on the pitch and we're gonna get in the show um this i i i gotta admit guys this one gave me um i i my mind did something bad here when the Uh camera cut to nate and jade in bed my head said oh our precious nate i've (laughs) I've been I've been worked. I literally too. what's supposed to happen. That's like what they wanted to happen. I've been the worked. Scene, the scene in the end where she calls him her boyfriend. I'm sorry, that was cute as shit. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's all cute as shit. If I we know. Have, like everyone, I think ourselves included, the question we had at the beginning of the season was how is he gonna redeem himself with Ted? He had yeah. to redeem himself to himself. Like he had to go figure his shit out. Yeah. Before anything else. And And I don't think, I don't want people to just like distill this to, oh, he redeemed himself and figured himself out because he got a girlfriend. Like there's so many more pieces to all of this. Like he's learning how to communicate. Like that's the whole thing. Like he couldn't communicate with Ted, which is why he blew up at the end of last season. And like he has, if he wants to work with Jade, he has to communicate with her. There's no working around it. And And I was so proud of him for doing that this episode. And like, to sure, he did some of the dorky, like, you know, oh, no one cares. Are about you, that. are you getting, uh, do you have any plans to have any meals with anyone else in the near future, in the immediate future? I thought it was such a cute way of like, are we exclusiving? <laughs> Listen, I mean, I, I emphasize, I empathize with that immensely. I was like, oh, that's super relatable. But Nate is, is the thing that he has needed since we've met him is the the confidence in his own skin and the confidence mm-hmm. to be himself. And there is still fighting that urge of having to put on a persona. We see it when he deletes his text back to Rupert after Rupert says, sorry about Ted, but he, he is really coming to in his, in his own as a person and standing alone as a person and not because I think the, the Nate we saw in Richmond is also deeply, you know, needing Ted's approval. And when that, yeah. attention kind of went away that's what what drove him over the edge and nate is is learning to stand on his own i think that's important and eventually that will lead to an apology to ted but also kind of an acknowledgement uh a, you know like a meeting of the minds of an, an acknowledgement between both of them that 
this is something that we can move on from. Like, of, of course, of course, they've got us to this point where I'm watching Nate and I'm just so happy for him. The lo- trying to get the love hounds together is tough. That's oh, a tough God. look for my guy. <laughs> he tried. He tried. I, <laughs> I don't want to ignore either the, the, you never ever see a man do this but the very familiar thing that i think a lot of women could recognize not to generalize i just think we probably do it more than men the did you brush your teeth before you yeah. got to bed <laughs> and did you shave oh my god my 20s like i would not do that anymore but not that i don't care enough but because like in your 20s for some reason you just have this mentality of like I need to look this way all the time. Like I can't let my guard down. I've got to always fix up and look nice. And if any of you have watched Maisel, you know, there's like a whole running bit since the beginning of her, like while she was married, she would take her makeup off after he fell asleep and put it back on before he woke up. So he never saw her without makeup. Like that cracked me up because I've never known a man to do that. I think of Kristen Wiig in Bridesmaids yeah. when she's with John Hamm <laughs> and she oh does God. the like where she like puts her head, head land lightly to her forehead and is like oh oh I just woke up and she's been like putting on makeup and like yes. woke him up on purpose um I'm just saying I cannot wait oh, we have four episodes left there's going to be a scene in which Nate gets to tell Ted about Jade and I am so excited <laughs> because it's going to be fantastic like and i cannot wait if it comes with like in my mind i'm like just quit go back to richmond like rejoin the diamond dogs and tell them about your sweet girlfriend i just am like oh it's it's gonna be so precious and i cannot wait cannot wait um and we're we're closing in we're closing in on that because we've got four episodes left it's wild, y'all. but really, with the, with the length of these, we have two movies left. So that's, that's true. <laughs> um, the the last kind of big thing um, is the Keeley, Jack, Jamie, Roy. This is where Ooh. I. This was the anxiety bowl of this game. This was yes. uh, th- this was two four and five coaches trying to trying to not get fired, um, play, <laughs> playing playing the rivalry game at the end. Uh, a lot. I mean, a lot. Uh, here's my question: Is Jack a villain? Does Jack end this a, a villain? Because this whole episode is a tough. Not just like it, the love bombing is one thing, but a lot of what she says to Keely and tries to do to Keely is fairly toxic. So I think, like, not just jump in here, but okay. <laughs> the love bombing, you know, we because we all had the chance to isolate it as this one thing that happened. It was like, okay, well, everybody slips up. Everybody has bad moments, bad habits even. You can be a a mostly healthy, not toxic partner and have like a toxic trait like that, right? That you need to be aware of and fix. But what was revealed this week was that not only is Jack extremely controlling for a lot of different reasons, it's not just because she's Keely's boss, but again, this is a problem when you get involved with your superiors. Um we see that she's insanely jealous because, Uh and I think there's a line in here that's really important that kind of brings that home. And it's when Keely says to Rebecca, I'm not an idiot. There are photos of me topless all over the internet, but that was my choice. But from Jack's perspective, when she brought up the whole thing about, it's not a good look for you to be doing that. Okay. Your, your girlfriend is naked all over the internet by her choice. 
What you don't like is that was for somebody else who wasn't you. And you know who else is guilty of that? Roy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, again, I don't think it's a condition with Roy. I think it's a symptom, right? He had a weak moment Mm -hmm. and his head was scrambled, but he knew immediately that he messed up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, like, I don't think Jack's a villain necessarily. I think Jack's a really shitty partner. And... Keely's like resolve in that scene where she leaves as opposed to just kind of freaking out and being like, oh no, what's going to happen? Where are you going? You know, she did ask, she's like, are you coming back? But you can tell Keely's much more secure with herself because, you know, what she went through was this whole thing about, am I supposed to be ashamed of myself? Yeah. And the person in her life who's supposed to be supportive is saying, yeah, you should. And you should apologize for it. Mm-hmm. And th- look, yeah, at, think- look at the difference right. between because we've seen that exact scene, different topic, but that exact scene we've seen Roy leave. Remember when she she's watching Sex in the City, freaks out, tells tells Roy that she needs her space, and that's when Roy says like I've been clinging to you like a fucking fridge magnet, uh, and he leaves, and she's upset, but there's an acknowledgement on Roy's part. You know, he learns that she needs space, and there's nothing. I I don't I don't see Jack coming to that. Jack is being incredibly aggressive or passive aggressive towards Keely. The statement that she gave her through Barbara, um, the calling her her friend yes. on the golf course. Yes, mm-hmm. tough. The, the but once the sorry, go I ahead. was just the Roy thing is like you said right away he knew, and I. I I kind of on first watch and rewatch, I was kind of like going, putting myself in his shoes and going through his head. And I, I, with Roy too, I think the worry is, was that post me? Cause I, I didn't realize until I rewatch it that she says you're up in Newcastle. So it's obvious that this went to a football player. Yeah. And I think with Roy, cause he, he definitely still holds out hope. He still cares for Keely. He wanted nothing more in that moment than to comfort her. And, it was like, it was, again, it was a moment of weakness of like, hey, I, I just need to know. I need to know if it's, you know, if I need to move on or something like that. And that was, it that felt was a little, it felt torn between old Roy jealousy with Jamie slash what you're saying. Like, was this someone that's, I was like in between the two. I was like, is this still, cause part of me is like the jealousy part with Jamie doesn't make a ton of sense right now, unless this was something that, they discussed and she wouldn't do for him which would be just a ridiculous storyline i think but um yeah it was uh it sh- i think it did show the differences i think jack's out i think she's gone which is great which is open this door but what then, <laughs> what does that mean for kjpr exactly like i don't think yeah. she's gone i think she's going to like again try to love bomber and be like mm-hmm. oh i was so stupid but not specifically address the issue and just try yeah. to like confuse her to forget about it, but well, throughout um, the episode, it was a roller coaster of what I thought were either anywhere from right response to villainous responses. Where every time that Keely kind of was like, "Wait, what is she?" and then she would say like, "It'll be okay," like this isn't you, and blah blah blah, and then the like she'd get the statement, and then when she talked to her about it, she was like, "Oh, it was so bad, like, it was so much, like my you know the." lawyers wrote that and so you're like oh, okay she doesn't really think that the that's the thing and then it would be like the next time she's like oh, okay um so it kind of like you know when she canceled 
the polo thing you're like oh it's because she's embarrassed be around mm-hmm. keely and she's like i just didn't think that you'd want to be around the cameras and you're like oh i guess i could see that I think it like was, i think it was embarrassment 100 percent. especially after the golf scene mm-hmm. yeah because at no yeah. point does she say like when they finally talk about it she doesn't say this would be the best thing for your career because blah 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 like if you want to get to this next step you need she says if you're going to be seen with me you know, yeah. and I'm funding your company. This is what you're going to have to do. And I think that's when it becomes really clear yeah. um, for Keely, like what is going to be required of her to give up just to be in that relationship. Yeah. Let's um let's go into best scene. As always, we will talk about a lot of these scenes, but I think this had a clear, obvious best scene. Like stands head and shoulders above everything else. <laughs> and that is... Man, I'm going to feel bad if I say... One that's not. Oh, I, is it, I feel like it's beer. It, hey Jude. Yeah, I feel like it's beer talking okay. talking yeah. Henry through okay. Hey Jude. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> that's one of them. I think that's one of them. So let, I mean, Maybe let's talk about that scene. though. That scene is beautiful, and in it's in wonderful. this scenario, so that makes Ted John Lennon beard as McCartney. If Ted starts dating anyone else, they're Yoko Ono. Who is who is George and Ringo in this situation? Oh Higgins is maybe Ringo and Roy is George. Roy's George. Hundred. I was just gonna say George. George Harrison's my favorite Beatle because he was my dad's favorite Beatle, and I grew. See that scene, like I did, could not resonate on some levels, like per the conversation. But the like, hey, why do you like the Beatles? Like I remember vividly listening to the Beatles and the Traveling Wilburys and like you know, Steely Dan, like in the car with my dad, when he'd drive me to lacrosse practice or soccer practice or take me, take me to, he, this is going to sound really bad. He abandoned me in the forest once in Metz, France, uh, while we were battlefielding together. Um, he didn't really, he just got, <laughs> I, I was, he got a little bit out further ahead of me. And I was like, I don't know where he went. And so <laughs> I got a little concerned. He was not far. Um, uh, but then a bat flew at my head later in a, in a, in a fort, but, um, yeah, I just, it was, I, that sentence resonated with me. And it's not like, you know, you can still like listen to stuff that your parents, you know, you have to like everything your parents like, but it just, that one I felt in my soul. Alex, when, yeah. when Beard no. says that Henry, you have a great mom and dad and they love you very much. And you just go for the jugular. Don't you? I mean, <laughs> not um, to pull back the curtain here, but Alex and I have, both at yeah. time, been single parents and yep. you know are comfortable have been in the same position that Ted is Ted is in. Yes. Where you know you have to figure out there's the parenting and there's the co-parenting and mm-hmm. they're two different things. And then there's the relationship you have with your ex which is another different thing. So you have like three different relationships going <laughs> on. And so you know it can be really no matter what situation you're in you can be in a really healthy I don't want to at all suggest that it has to be angry and brutal and fighting all the time. Um, I just think we have to acknowledge that it can be, but even in like the healthiest of situations, it's hard. And especially like, you know, Kyle, I know with you and I, like we were single parents early on, Mm -hmm. you know, so there wasn't like the same situation of our kid almost being, or our kids, you know, our kids, we'll bring that up later. (laughs) No one will understand that. When we say our kids, we don't mean we're together. We just, anyway, um, that's a Twitter joke if you don't get it. So like we, I think it is very different 
number one, when the kid has seen their parents together mm-hmm. in a relationship, when there's been a lot of time this past, but like no situation is going to be easy. And I think like, you know, the biggest fear that any parent has when you decide to separate or divorce or live separately in any capacity is like, have I messed up my kid? Did I do the right thing? Should I have stayed? Should they have stayed? Should we just tough it out for 18 years and then move on with their lives? And I just thought that was really beautiful because regardless of what was literally going on in the background with Ted, like eagerly trying to find out, is she getting engaged? Beard made it so clear in terms of like from Henry's perspective, he has two wonderful parents, regardless of who is or isn't getting engaged, regardless of, you know, the divorce and everything else. And there's like assuring him, like, I know maybe this isn't the ideal situation, but you are loved and you're cared for. And I think that's all parents want for their kids, regardless of what situation they're in. Mm -hmm. And I think that was stressing the importance of what Rebecca told on the phone. Like you need to make the best of this time with your son, like pointing Ted in the, the, giving him the right priority and the right mindset of like, man, you cannot worry about what's going on with things you can't control, but you can control. And I think that's something that parents in general, that sometimes you get so caught up in other shit and you forget just like you have a, even if you are in like now I am in a two parent household with my son and you get, I get so caught up in other stuff. Like, Hey, sometimes I forget like in nine years, that kid's out of here. So need to focus on enjoy and like you know sing sing hey jude or for me that's like watch the twins and yell at the tv with him like stuff like that (laughs) same same (laughs) and just like yell at them and discipline them and be like i've got to be mean parent today like even that is really meaningful stuff i have a a dear friend of mine who who doesn't have kids and believe me i'm not one of those people who's like if you're childless you don't get love (laughs) like i think if you've been around children in any capacity you understand it and you know what they say and they mean it from the best place because they absolutely adore Jack. They, they know him and it's very sweet, but he'll be like, you know, Oh, you know, you're going to be, he's going to be in college when you're in your early forties, you're going to be free and you can do what you want. I'm not, I, I'm going to say, not to say I've never thought of this. <laughs> I want to say that, but to me, it's like the opposite feeling in my head of like, you've only got this much time left. Mm-hmm. And if you screw this up, you know? And so I think like, I don't know, it, I, from a co-parenting perspective or just uh, you're away from your kid or you share your kid in terms of time and space with another person, like those feelings aren't easy and they're nuanced and they're confusing and you can feel a million things at once. And so, yeah, I thought that was such a beautiful thing. And I used to sing that song to Jack when he was a baby and he knows it very well. So. Well, I was going to say too, like sh- first shout out to Beard, mm-hmm. like just the relationship even if he suggests not kid appropriate um activities around london although the jack the ripper six hour walking tour that's immersive and you get chased at some point <laughs> sounds like a like a real gas everyone has um, that pa- that friend who it's like hey i've got you know it's me and my kid today but yeah we'll meet up and do something with you and they just have no idea what uh what like a nine-year-old can do oh uh, i picked the knife knives factory is that what you guys want to do like just no idea but i mean he saw he just read the moment so well and especially for some like we you see a lot of his relationship with jane that's like completely ridiculous and wild but to see this side of beard where like he created a memory and a moment for jack there that 
for, is for, going for to Henry. benefit him. For Henry. <laughs> <laughs> Who? Jack, Jeez. Grayson, and Henry are all the same person. All the, all the same. I mean, love them I think dearly, the same so. age. I mean, this season has put the the first season was about was about the relationship was about Ted and Michelle. Yeah. The second season was kind of a little bit of both. Um, Ted kind of learning to learning to be single and learning to kind of grow apart. And this has put the relationship with Henry on the forefront. And I I think again, Rebecca pointing him in that direction of this is your priority and beer, the same thing. Your parents love you. And I I mean, I think all roads lead back to Kansas. There's just, there's no way that that Ted is leaving the season without, without Henry. And that, that scene is could be convinced now that maybe the roads don't all lead to Kansas. See, see what but I'm those roads could lead to Richmond as a unit, as a family. As a unit. I mean, if yeah. you're and Michelle and you see that quaint little town, and then you, uh, no offense to Kansas, and you go back to Kansas, <laughs> Kansas, you are great. Yeah, I, any, I mean, most ninety percent of this country. If you come back to ninety percent of this country, and then you compare that little town that is Richmond, you're just like, oh, seems kind of nice over there. Seems like they got a nice yeah. leisurely yeah. way of life. Henry with the team, mm-hmm. like I was, it was so sweet. <laughs> they were so sweet. Um, and I will say, Henry, now I love that for him that he has that song because mm-hmm. he liked the song before, but now that that is a what do they call it? what is the thing where it's like core memory, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. He formed a core memory outside of that. <laughs> and it, first of all, we haven't even talked about May being an absolute goddess yet again, <laughs> where she comes over with the drinks. He's like, what did you do today? You know, Prince Henry, <laughs> like whatever. And he's like, we went to a West Ham game. She refused. She was going to not serve the child. And Beard being like, did you think I wanted to fucking be there? <laughs> you two I are think, on probation. I think part of it too. And I, I think, mind you, I think if like, Jason and Brendan weren't friends at all. That scene would have been just as impactful. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I, in believe me, I'm not, I'm the last person to make a parallel, you know, here to Jason's personal life. But I think what hit harder for me there was Jason and Brendan are best friends. We know that Jason's Vegas and Olivia Wilde have gone through a very public split and um, custody suit. It's no one's business. I'm not here to gossip about that. But I think watching him say what he said it just made me feel like he's he might have had that conversation or will have that conversation at some point of like you know knowing everything especially them because they're under so much media scrutiny and you can only shield your kids so much before somebody googles or somebody at school is like hey i saw your dad and mom are like suing each other or something and it just to me it felt so real um you know and jason had said in the the media week thing for the season started He's like, I knew I was going to have to go in some caves before this started, if we were going to write this correctly. And that's just what you got to do for it. And so, you know, it's hard to take your pain and make it into art, even though it sounds really romantic and whimsical, like, <laughs> oh, isn't this great? Bad things can happen. You just make it. That's a hard thing to do, but I think we're all better for it because it's shown the nuance that a lot of people probably don't think about. I think you hear custody and divorce and split and co-parenting and you think fighting all the time and it's a really bad situation and the kid loses which is why we have this idea in this country 
particularly in states where I've lived of like fatherlessness of how like a father not being in the home is what causes blah, 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 bullshit. What causes that is not having a mother, not having money and not having the resources to live. Like we're seeing the nuance of like two parents who are absolutely there for the kids wanting to support them. And things are tricky because life is tricky. And sorry, I'm rambling. It was just really beautiful. <laughs> I agree. It was, it was one of the more beautiful scenes the show has ever put together. Like it was fantastic. Um, Alex, you said you had another scene though. I did. I did. I don't want to like, <laughs> I don't know. This could be another thing. Like the week that we just bared our souls, Caroline. <laughs> oh, no, here we go. Let's do it. And I'm, I'm really not because it's a, it's a painful story, but like the locker room scene where they're talking about, um, photos and keeping photos on your phone and i completely agree caroline that like the dialogue <laughs> did get very like after school especially like but why is weed a problem yeah <laughs> what's so bad about drugs guys it's super cool um sure but i also think that was like intentional yeah. and i think it worked so well um you know like, i'll be very careful about this because i don't it's not that i have a problem talking about it one day i'll write about it probably but, you know, years ago, I was in a situation and like, by the way, what happened to Keely is called revenge porn. And a lot of people think revenge porn is just like when your ex takes old photos and distributes them. But that's not always the case. Revenge porn from a legal definition is just somebody distributing um, sexually explicit images or texts or anything of you without your consent. So you can be hacked just like Keely was or just like all those actresses were years ago. Um, and that is considered legally revenge porn, which could be the um, commission painting that someone sat for and then gave to Will Kitman, which I have questions about. <laughs> burn it. You got to burn, burn it, it bro. <laughs> so when I, when I use that term, I just don't want anybody to think it was like, you know, it, it just, it was what it was. But years ago, um, I was in a similar situation and somebody, uh, that I knew had access to one of my, um, uh, devices and took, you know, personal things of mine between me and a person I was involved with and um, distributed those not online. It wasn't a hack, but distributed those to um, people in my life who are in power. Let's just say that people who could control, you know, my employment, my job, things like that. And, um, and I'm not here to like tell my story or anything. Believe me, I paid for years of trauma therapy, but I, I here's why I bring it up. I have a vivid memory of walking into a room and sitting down and being confronted with printouts of this, of things that were my private correspondence with another person. And I was given to that by people in power who were supposed to protect me and look out for me. And instead they made me feel awful. They made me feel embarrassed. It was the most traumatizing moment of my life. And I spent years saying I was the problem. Why did I take those photos? What I mean, this was someone I was involved with, okay? And look, I'm not saying you should or should it was, but this was in the confines of a relationship. This was not me like tweeting out photos of myself, which I think is totally cool too. If you want to do that and Elon doesn't, you know, ruin your vibe. This wasn't like an OnlyFans situation, nothing like that. It's like Keely said, she had control over the stuff that was out there about her. But to be confronted with things that were your personal property on your personal device. Nothing in my life will be more humiliating than that. And I went through years of trauma therapy to get, to get over it. And it wasn't on Twitter. Thousands of people didn't see it. 
This wasn't a big scandal. This was like three people, but it was three people who like were the last people that I ever thought would see something like that. And so I say that to say like, I'm obviously not the only person to go through something like that. And to watch that locker room scene take place where they broke down truly all the excuses that people give whenever revenge porn comes up in the news. Well, you shouldn't have taken those photos. Well, you knew the risk you were taking by texting them. Well, you knew you shouldn't have done this. You should have had a better password. You should. Okay. There are a million you shoulds out there. And I'm not saying they're necessarily wrong in terms of we all, we, we all need cybersecurity in our lives, right? Like we should all be responsible about (laughs) that. My sister approves this message. Right. (laughs) But it wasn't about that. No. And I was a grown woman who believed for years that I was bad and I was shameful and I, you know, had just like let everybody down, even people who didn't know what happened. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, what would my dad say if he knew? I mean, it was just the same sexist ass bullshit that every woman goes through when she is told your body's an object, you should be ashamed of it unless you've you know, you're dating somebody and then they should have full access to it. Like I, it's disgusting. And so the way that that whole locker room scene played out of like, but wait a second, what if you took the photos? What if you, cause these are real conversations that people have of like, if you're French, (laughs) well, yeah, that could take (laughs) weeks if you're Danny Rojas. (laughs) Exactly. And it's like, but what if you, what if you did this way? Like, yeah, that had to happen. And if it had to happen in a cheesy way, so be yeah, it. And, and again, I'm totally projecting my personal life here. This is not a writing critique. This is me saying like, we need more men to have those conversations. We need more men to say, you know, if their friend says, hey, look at this photo of my ex-girlfriend that she took. Dude, get it off Delete that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Delete that. We need more and, Isaac McAdoo's. I, in, Isaac, is what... Isaac in this one. I mean, and that leads into also, Isaac is now the first that we know of team member who knows that Colin is gay. Um, yeah. Or at least has a very strong idea, I would assume, based on what he saw on that phone, that Isaac is gay, or that Colin is gay. Um, and I took that, that kind of nod, as him processing, and I see no scenario where Isaac is anything but perfect with that scenario. I think there's going to be a nice moment between them. There, there better be a nice moment between them next. Or episode. Caroline was, will that hunt was like someone probably down my, and fight them. It was probably my biggest complaint from this one. Is just that I really could have used because he didn't. I didn't. Yeah, you know, like whatever. Um, it just was kind of like I wanted him to have a little like re, not reassure Colin. Colin doesn't need to be reassured. He's not doing anything wrong. Like it's who he is. Like this is how yeah. You know. But um. I just I can't I don't think they will because there's no way they have that scene with Isaac and show Isaac being constantly like this upstanding with the times smart fella bruv and have him have some like homophobic tendencies I just don't see it I would be devastated if they went that route and I don't think they will but um I think I texted Nicole like we were talking about the locker room scene and I was like, yeah, I got a little after schooly, but honestly, I think it all needed to be said. So I'm glad that they did it that way. So same agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's and they did such a, that's why I also think, I think that's a good call Alex for saying, putting up there with like one of the best scenes because it also, one, we saw a lot more Jamie growth mm-hmm. just in that scene. Although his locker um, is basically Brian Fantana's office from Anchorman. With all, the <laughs> all of the links. 60% of the time it works <laughs> every, every time. time. Every time. <laughs> Man, what a great Paul Rudd role. Oh, um, and then, but you get to see, like, you see Roy's reaction to hearing the news. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I don't think that Sam would have said out loud that Keely was one of the people hacked with Roy right there. I think like I've been a lot. You just you just wouldn't say that if like you would just you'd wait until Roy leaves the room with and be like, guys, I got two some, X's. In yeah, the I room? have some really bad news. Uh, you wouldn't just you wouldn't just say it in front of Roy. Also, uh, someone Sam's ex girlfriend deleting Candy Crush off his phone is is extremely <laughs> petty, and I respect it. <laughs> when he's like, it hurt, but I get it. For some reason, just because I was like, I was watching, but I was also like trying to multitask. My thought, I just imagined, I'm not saying it was Rebecca. I just imagined like a, an image of her like deleting stuff off his phone and being like, oh, well, Candy Crush is gone. Too. <laughs> like, not that she sent him nudes, but that would just be really funny. <laughs> maybe, maybe she did, though. More power to her. Um, some other scenes to touch on. I think we, we've talked about it a little bit, but the beginning when it transitions from, you know, Ted, the soccer announcer Arlo uh, participating in sports washing white uh, giving the transition to Ted must be so happy. And then it's his face deeply concerned talking to Michelle and Dr. Jacob. They're vibing Um, Ted pulling out the matchbook. I, Mm. I took that as a lot of symbolism to, I mean, we've obviously seen that Rebecca's held on to it as well from the psychic. I look at it too, as uh, that represents a very strong father son bond. And that is someone that I think we have seen the two players that we have seen Ted even surpass that coach role. And as much like as close to a fatherly type role with two of his younger players, I would say that's Jamie and Sam Jamie, who has a gaping hole in his life where there should be a father and Sam who has such a strong relationship with his father and was feeling very homesick. And that to me is Ted keeping that matchbook. That is one assemblance of the importance of the relationships between fathers and sons and parents and children in the show. And Ted being so proud of someone who he's seen grow over three seasons. Um, so I, I thought that was important. And just Caroline's the, the maid that nothing's impossible. I like, I missed it the first time I watched and then saw it again. And it's like, that's, that's something. It's not nothing. Also, how like father like son was it that like Ted had clearly asked if she could <laughs> finagle the machine that way before? Like you told me that was impossible. <laughs> I have a couple. So shout out to both the Diamond Dogs and the Love Hound scenes. Mm-hmm. Both excellent. Um, Roy's <laughs> refusal. Well, first of all, Roy. <laughs> Roy is so great. That has to be one of the few times he calls him Ted, isn't it? When he says you want to talk I don't, about it. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, where he goes like or he says, like, I'm sorry, Ted. Like when so Ted just leads with like Dr. Jacob is proposing. <laughs> like, and they're all like, oh no. Well, also, I mean shit. The start of the scene where he's like, Where would you take someone to propose? And they're like, Paris, obviously. <laughs> um, but Diamond Dogs just it always hits for me. I'm sorry, I don't know if that's cheesy or not, but it hits for me. I love the little like we got a new member. And just Roy hating it so much, but still listening to everything. I love that getting Higgins down there involved Beard picking up the phone and barking into the phone. (laughs) I didn't even catch that. I wasn't even paying attention to what he did. And he ran down there and he goes. Um, the th- the three things that Roy said through the glass were, oh, never fucking mind. Um, they said Roy didn't want to do it, and he said it was a living fucking nightmare. <laughs> and when um, Ted said that he only said that was going to happen because they're going to Paris, he goes, God damn it. 
um and that's where he also said the emirates husband not her current father which i don't know why that made me laugh so hard but um and we got the uh the uh trent crim woof <laughs> all of it top notch loved trying. it it's wonderful so i, I think him. i think the matchbook was an intentional misdirect to start with like i think it could represent a lot of things i think that was like going back to banter season two when we see the rebecca ted you think they're texting each other I think that comes out, it's like, whoa. Because everyone I've talked to is like, okay, that kind of made us all pause. Like, what is this here for? I thought that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, and they can be both things, what I'm saying. I'm not arguing that, you know, anything. And obviously, they were all there that night. So, of course, they have this, like, you know, hanger on their pockets. But um, what I thought was interesting was the parallel between that scene and then Rebecca messing with her matchbook when she ran into... John Wings Knight and his lady. Um, and, you know, I think like what that restaurant is represented as far as like the night they all went there. And then of course, fathers and sons and everything else. I think it's been really interesting, but um, like, I think they know what they're doing <laughs> and they want to like keep people guessing as far as what's going to happen. Cause I think if we could telegraph at this point that Ted and Michelle are going to end up together. Like it would get kind of boring. Right. And I think that's the point the three of us have made for a long time. Like who wants to sit around and guess what's going to happen? Like, it's so fun when they throw us these things and we're like, we have no idea what that means. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was really, really lovely. And there's just so much, there's so much Paris stuff. You guys, first of all, another movie I would like to do on this podcast, but I doubt anyone would vote for it. French kiss. Who's seen it? I don't think I've seen it. I have French Kiss. I haven't. What so what I've heard what is that? Which one is that? Um, it's Meg Ryan in. and what's his face? In. I... <laughs> Kevin Klein. Oh, in. And it's like one of my favorite rom coms. I think I saw it when I was younger than Jack because my dad stupidly let me have a TV with HBO when I was younger. And so I watched it and it's like it's just one of those it's definitely the first movie that made me want to go to paris and then italy and like everywhere i was just like i want to travel when i get older but bringing that up along with sex in the city very interesting to me a lot of signs a lot of signs different first it was amsterdam now it's paris well one thing too and i don't know okay wait you go ahead and do your ad break. <laughs> so I feel like it's ad break time. Yeah. And I'm how did you know? Getting in the Let's way. take a quick ad break okay. and then we'll get back with categories. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Okay, we're back. We're yes. going to be nice and concise and fly through these categories like we always do. <laughs> Why are you lying to the listeners? <laughs> Laughing child? Liam Award and best one-liner or joke. I'm going to, hey, you know me, I'd like some hyperbole. Was this the least funny episode of Ted Lasso ever? Not to say that it wasn't funny, but I found myself finding like <sighs> there was no one who was standout funny. Sure. I... <laughs> I'm giving it to Jamie for one <laughs> very specific line. And I don't know if this is because my sister works in cybersecurity. <laughs> but for, and we didn't talk about this in best scenes. When he goes to Keeley's house, it is lovely. Um, Jamie, I have that in a different category. Yes. Um, but he, <laughs> she says, oh, no. So really, it comes out that seems to be that the hack actually targeted Jamie and Jamie had the video in his email. So despite being one that was very like adamant about deleting things, like he did not remember to do it from his um, email. And therefore when that was hacked and he's like, I should have chosen a stronger password. And she goes, Oh no, Jamie, is it password? <laughs> and he says, he says, yeah, but he said, yes. And he goes, yeah, to be fair, I thought I'd fooled them because I'd spelled it with two S's. <laughs> like that he thought, the implication being that he thought password is spelled with one S. I don't know why that is the funniest thing to me. Uh, but it also does tie into an inside joke with our family that because my sister is in cybersecurity stuff, she's always constantly on us for like, I always do this stuff anyway. We have to for most stuff at work, like the two-factor. I think I spend most of my day doing two-factor authentication. Mm -hmm. um, I used to have it for Twitter. I know, me too, but who needs that? Um, needs that? <laughs> so I always, my dad and I always will make jokes about our passwords being password, password, one, two, three, and like variations on that. And she's like, guys, it's not funny. Cybersecurity threats are real, like that kind of thing. And so him, just the one S thing absolutely killed me. I think that was the funniest line or uh, Roy with the, <laughs> just his disdain for the diamond dogs always makes me laugh. Okay. I wish a uh, last pass would have sponsored this episode. <laughs> that would have been amazing. I thought would have been nice. Okay. So I feel like again, this is gonna be like a thing that I think the women listeners might rally around. <laughs> Rebecca talking about masturbation and her parents' house <laughs> getting bolstered was I was crying laughing so hard. What she said, she's like, I walked into the Edge yeah. of the sofa once. Well, actually, like, that felt nice. Yeah. <laughs> they had to get reupholstered. I blamed it on the dog. We don't have a dog. We won't get into it too much, but like it's painfully true. <laughs> no, that women just grow up being like, we don't know. <laughs> men, men just have like a built-in instruction manual. What are you gonna like? Okay, it's there. Might as well mess with it until something happens. Women have a whole like system of bells and whistles, and we don't know what to do. We're we don't know, and we're not going to mess. You guys with are it. like an erector set. <laughs> so put it mildly. <laughs> I just I died because it's like, and it's also one of those jokes that I think you just get conditioned to thinking about how like more conservative men would be like, oh, that is so appalling that a woman would make a joke like that. And I thought it was perfect. Like we need more jokes like that about women and sex and their bodies rebecca might get she might get my nod for this one because she also had this isn't necessarily a haha -ha funny line but 
the oh please the eiffel tower is just a lamppost with a publicist is a great that's what i had written down yeah that's that's fantastic fantastic Uh, line and she also i hope they were able to film in paris before this episode came out because (laughs) now they might not be allowed back they've also absolutely loved the conversation with ted because of him mispronouncing or saying the wrong name for everything and her correcting it and like at her french accent is really good um and then just even to the point where he says sex in the city and she's like sexy in the city <laughs> like that was excellent and i did also i thought um the other super relatable scene was when what is that guy's name roger was sitting in nate's office he's like am i in trouble <laughs> and he was like no 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 and then like uh what is the disco comes in he's like are we in trouble and Nate's like no um and then disco's comment on i've been married three times <laughs> never tell a woman how you feel (laughs) um and then when they leave he goes now are we in trouble i see there were a few maybe it might be the not the funniest but i definitely there are several several times where i was laughing where i cackled a bit the only other thing i have written down is when higgins is um just apoplectic after ted has rushed him down on a whim and he says i'm gonna have leg cramps in my sleep tonight (laughs) also relatable yeah, and I, I I think you might have mentioned this earlier, Caroline, but uh, Barbara saying maybe not Facebook because that's just for grandparents and racists now. I, think is I texted that to you, yes. <laughs> also very funny. So good. Um, what is the what's the best Ted moment of this episode? Hmm. I I wrote down post phone call from Rebecca, like hopping into the moment and going to uh, going to sync with Henry. I think that's important. I think that's, I also liked, um, I liked when he read to him in bed, even though like they're, you know, starting to ask him, I I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a single parent, but I thought that probably broke, like closes in on like, you're not, I don't think you're supposed to press the kid for info on the other person. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not against it. Um, but when he was kind of like, Oh, does so Dr. Jacob read you books? Um, but I think I liked, uh, I like that he took him to the West Ham game. You know, he, he like, that was his day. They, and Beard, they both were like, all right, we're doing this. Let's do it. And he, it just showed again that he doesn't have this like intense animosity that I think Nate expected him to have for him. Um, so I thought that was a nice dad moment. But I think Alex, I think it's like after the phone call. I need to know what those seats cost. Day of game. <laughs> Close enough Big to the game. bench to yell at the coach i mean definitely bought on like Ticketmaster. up uh, is Ticketmaster fucking up the europe like it is us like are they are they holding <laughs> the fees alone monopoly just oh stunning mm. horrible stuff um the rupert award for the villain of this episode Chuck. uh yeah when i put together this run sheet at the beginning of the season i said you know rupert is basically voldemort so he's ineligible for this category but even in an episode where he has no lines he is still bad yeah by refusing to go to nate's uh lady hounds love hounds meeting or love hounds lady hounds Hounds would be pretty the lady hounds uh but yeah it's i mean it's jack and in internet pirates like internet thievery like those fucking people are terrible the worst humans Oh yeah, um, if we're counting the hackers, like the hackers take the hack, it. Yeah. If we're counting like people that like, I think it's just it's Jack in this one, and I agree. I don't think necessarily this means that she's like a huge villain and the absolute worst, et cetera, et cetera. I think we we're all agreement before that, or 
with the love bombing stuff too. She's not not the fit for our Keely. Um, yeah, I have I think a, it's... a weird thought. <laughs> what what if Shandy was the one behind it? Oh, does Shandy have that kind of? She'd have to know a guy. I don't think Shandy's hacking because it was a lot. Well, of Sure, people. I don't think she's doing. But like, I'm ready to like roll the sleeves up. Because we have to think, like, they went after Jamie's email. Someone mentioned, like, a reality star with a big dick. <laughs> like, it just has Shandy written all over it. But who knows? You I know just, what? I, I would, that would be, I would be furious, but that would make sense. And I feel like Barbara has been trying to telegraph something to Keely, you know, for episodes, mini episodes. And I feel like at first, of course, we all thought she just didn't like her. And that was probably true. She didn't know her. But I've had the feeling, and I don't think I'm alone, that she's been, especially in the last episode, it's her problem wasn't so much with that Jack's the boss, even though, again, that's a problem. Mm. It felt like she was trying to telegraph to her, like, you're about to go through a thing that I've watched her go through with other people. Yeah. Like, I've watched other people suffer for what's about to happen. Um, And so, yeah, it's really, it's interesting. Can we talk about the Sex in the City episode that was on. Yeah, please. I knew, I was like, Alex will know exactly what scene this is, like which episode it's from. This is from the, I believe it is season, oh God, here we go. <laughs> season six, episode six, seven? Oh my God. Okay, Caroline, you... right now, I want you to look up Sex in the City, season six, episode seven. Don't tell me what it says. Just look it Hold up. And, okay. Tell me when you Hold have on, to make sure I type sex and and not sex in. <laughs> sex in this. I mean, it would have worked either way. Six. Which one do you think it is? Six I'm, or seven? If, if I'm go with seven for if I'm right about this, y'all, I have serious brain issues because <laughs> I haven't watched the show regularly in years. Does it say something about the post-it note breakup? Are you serious? <laughs> Get out of here. I was like, there's no way. I was like, I think she means that this is like a Paris one or something when she's with the Russian. There's no way. There's no way. It is called the post-it always sticks twice. Okay. So let me give you a Get bit of out of here. Let me give you some background on this. You're because I definitely knew like what the episode was. I just didn't know. Okay. Anyway. What has happened in the episode that Keely is watching is if you are a sex in the city person or even if you're not culturally you've probably picked up on the fact that carrie's two big love interests were big and aiden those are the ones that were like the biggest in her life right and if you remember in season two when she and roy keely and roy got in the fight what was on was a episode of carrie and um aiden fighting about how he's just kind of around all the time um which was kind of keely's issue too right so what we have in the episode that's playing when she and jack have their little squabble um Carrie a few episodes earlier you know Carrie's a writer at this point she started freelancing for Vogue or she might have been a staff writer or staff editor I can't see I can't remember details I can just remember numbers um she actually meets this guy named Berger that's his last name um in like the waiting room at Vogue he's a writer too and And for the first played by the guy from uh office space the ron livingston Ron yes i see i knew that when she said burger jacqueline was watching (laughs) enough sex in the city with me in the room and and i love ron livingston (laughs) see so the kind of setup for this is she's been through big over and over and like he destroyed her she's been through aiden and she kind of destroyed that because she was like with him in 11 then she cheated on him with big and 
they tried to still not over that it's fine she and aiden tried to get back together and it didn't work burger other than the russian which is like what they end up calling him at the end of the show and that has to do with paris we'll get to that later other than the russian burger was like the other big one because he was the first one that's kind of on her level before this she had dated men who were like significantly more than her whether it was like in wealth and like obviously big was super rich aiden had his whole like furniture empire going on it was always the men wasn't there a senator congressman Um, yeah slattery played a guy that was short-lived though so burger was like the other big one in her life and they were both writers and when you date a writer speaking of somebody who has dated writers before in the beginning it's just great you both have the same professional struggles you're like we can edit each other and you think like (laughs) we're on the level he gets me i get him but more often than not if one of y'all dares to be more successful than the other it takes a very strong person on the other side of that to be like, I'm not resentful. I'm very supportive. Now, this is not me saying those relationships don't exist. I know a lot of couples who are writers and they're great. In this case, though, Berger was like a really great guy. And then Carrie sold her book. Like it, there was a Paris hook here. It was like to the publisher in Paris. They were going to print it in Paris. And he suddenly started acting like a child. And yeah he was resentful of her and she couldn't believe it because he was like this cool guy. He was definitely like the most on the level with her that she'd been. And so in this particular episode, she is upset rightfully so because he's broken up with her via post-it note. And I believe the post-it mm-hmm. note says something like, I'm sorry, I just can't do this. And what we're actually hearing in that scene with Keely and Jack is like the girls talking about it being like, he broke up with me on a post note. Then you hear Miranda say, like, I got broken up with by a guy who had his doorman do it for him and stuff like that. Yes. But yeah. That relationship was like another step of significance because once again, Carrie has gone into something thinking like, this is what it is. This is what the situation is. Not realizing like it, nobody's really capable of being like a partner to her. And that was the closest she had gotten. And I feel like Keely probably feels that way. And if he was like, obviously, I'm not saying Jamie was her big or that Roy was her Aiden, but there are parallels there. Certainly like big was very, he didn't want to commit. And he just kind of, he was very superficial, about the whole thing didn't want to say that he loved her. And then Aiden come, like swoops in to suddenly the savior. But basically he was just big in a nice way. He would like smother her with niceness and be like, well, why don't you care about how nice I am? And then you have Berger, who's like kind of out of left field, but seems to make sense, which I think Keely and Jack have. But then like they both kind of discover who he is and they least expect it. And it's, yeah, I don't know. I think it's significant. That only makes me nervous because I want Keely to end up with who you have identified as big and, uh, and well, Carrie ends up with Big. Roy. He just dies of a. That, I know. Or I want I want Keely to end up with with who you identified as Aiden, and she yeah. doesn't end up with Aiden. I don't think like uh, when they do those parallels, I don't think it necessarily means like here's your conclusion. I don't think they're spelling it out for us. I just think it's a really nice way of telling a story that the scenes we've seen of her just trying to clearly Sex in the City is her decompression show, and we all have our decompression <laughs> shows, right? And it's just very interesting that it's matched the tone. You know, like she and Jack seem to be hot and heavy, and then all it takes is a piece of paper to break them up, right? And the fact that Jack cannot handle that Keely That's, has been with other people. Yeah. 
so, so I just think it's yeah. interesting. I'm just like, I'm yeah. sure, I the, these are these are those times once a week where I'm just like, man, I, I just I don't have that those that. brainwaves. That's incredible. And now we have a new Ted Lasso Sex in the City crossover podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Sex and Man City. <laughs> I'm Nailed excited it. about it. And I like all I hope is that because I can totally see if they carry this out to the end, then we have the Russian. That's what I'm saying. Is I don't think anybody on Sex and the City represents the different guys, but I could totally see them recreating the Paris scene, which is how Sex and the City ends as a show. And it's big showing up on the bridge after she's gotten in the fight with um what is his name um the pets uh, alex it's alexander something but yeah um and he's like what does he say like you've always been the girl or something stupid yeah i feel I, like oh. everyone's gonna end in paris dude i swear they've got four episodes to bring dutch guy back <laughs> have colin and isaac stay friends Danny to do something. Have Colin own. come out to the team. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I think. Kisses cool. fell after and, they win the cup. Like there's a lot, there's yeah. a lot of stuff. So that has speaking happened. of, speaking of win the cup, look at Caroline with the transition there. Uh, <laughs> on the pitch, pitch, talking about the sports action. So we know Richmond is rolling. Um, shout out to patron of the show, Andrew Teagle. Do you want to support the show? Be a patron. You can do that folks. Uh, Andrew. So on Twitter, he said, uh, he was, this was a quote tweeting last week's episode. So in this week's episode, we pondered where the Greyhounds were in the relegation fight as the self-appointed Premier League consultant to the pod. Here's my breakdown. He said, okay, so typically 30 to 35 points in the EPL keeps you from being relegated. Thanks to Beard's whiteboard update at the start of Season 3, Episode 5, after the Newcastle match, we know that Richmond is sitting on 24 points. Also, now that I'm reading that, him saying after the Newcastle match, that also... That's Keely mentions Newcastle in the video that she has sent to someone. And that I also think gives credence to Roy, like needing to know because he's worried that that went that literally just in the Newcastle happened. match that that literally just happened. So that, that makes even more sense about his moment of weakness. But anyways, this is after the Newcastle match. We know that Richmond is sitting on 24 points, throwing that they played 15 matches through Newcastle, plus then Man City and Arsenal losses. And the Greyhounds are at 24 points through 17 games. 38 matches are in an EPL season. So the Greyhounds sit at 69% of the needed points to avoid a drop. They're 45% of the way through the season. Wouldn't be in the relegation discussion at this point and would take no or few points in their next 10 matches to be. And someone then replied, uh, Aaron, who's a listener to the show, thanks for this. Where does this realistically put them in terms of the let's win the whole fucking thing? Yeah, thank you. That was my question. Uh, Andrew said, hard to say. Most years around 90 points win it. Best Richmond case would be 2015, 2016. Is it Leicester City? Leicester. No. Leicester. These fucking European <laughs> names. Uh, who won with 81 points. Richmond has 21 games left. Max point total is 87. 63 potential points plus 24 current. So if they win out, 87 points would likely do it. Also didn't cross-reference where Man City was based in the multi-game montage from earlier in the season. City could be uncatchable at this point. 87 points would have been good for third in the 2021-2022 season. 87 points would have won the EPL in the 2020-2021 season. So, all that being said. That was a lot of math. Is that a yes? A lot of math. They're good? (laughs) They're good. So, the thing is, they're rolling. They're doing... it, It sounds like they need to do close to win out or, you know, go on a hell of a run, yeah. probably went out to have a shot at winning the thing. 
the good thing about this show is that the writers control who's, you know, how everyone else is doing, which is nice. It's like me playing pretend in my backyard when I was nine. <laughs> um, you know, the Twins can win the World Series that way. Uh, so, you know, we're rolling. It's setting up that way. We've we got a nice little vocal audio montage to start the episode. So it looks like Richmond total football works. Jamie's running things. You know, Jamie's Chris Paul on the point. So that's good. That is our on the pitch segment of this episode. Um, yeah, um, I, I could have. Uh, I'm not gonna lie to you. I could have done with a little visual. I appreciated the audio montage to start to let us know. But I, I do love when they throw us some little sporty, some little sporty scenes. I like it as well. I like it. Uh, I don't think you realize how psychologically healthy that is. Award. I am going to combine this for the for the which character showed the most personal growth in this episode. I'm going to combine this with the food poisoning award for which moment from this episode gave you the most stress. I think Jamie coming to apologize to Keely. <laughs> Again, showed a lot of emotional growth. Also gave me a ton of stress. <laughs> because yes, I agree. don't want them to end up together. That would, and I, especially after seeing how Roy feels about Keeley, because that is still there, I it would break my heart. I think Roy, if Keeley was truly happy, Roy could live. But I, I don't know. I, I, I just, I would be, I would be bummed. I, they would have to do a lot of selling on me. May, like it would have to be Roy maybe reunites with Phoebe's teacher or something. Like I just can't have him ending this episode alone and Keely's happy with Jamie or something. I don't know. I'm just rambling now, but I'm scared. <laughs> I, I think that, so our, our friend Nicole, who was on the pod last week for the first time, she does want to come back. She's just busy this week. So we did not scare her away with our lack of uh, rules and meandering. Um, she is kind of team Jamie and Keely, which here's my thing. I would be, I think that they have earned that relationship if that's the way that they decide to go story-wise. Like I would not be like furious, like that it came out of left field. I think the thing that broke Keely and Jamie up in the first place was his immaturity, his self-centeredness, the, that whole, we've gone into it before. He's clearly grown and matured and is a totally different person and character than we saw from season one, even from season two. That being said, I am still Keely Roy. His oi, like when he ran into like that makes my heart skip a beat. I love Roy so much. Um, I think Jamie is gonna kind of help facilitate them getting back together. Like, I don't know why. I just I feel that in my soul. Cause I think he's gonna see that that's the better fit maybe that they do because he said like what was really sweet about that whole scene was jamie jamie's honesty and vulnerability and saying like you know for a while i kept the pictures because i thought we were going to get back together um and then i got angry and deleted some when you got with roy because i thought you were doing it just to make me mad he's like but then i saw that it was real and she kind of lights up at that like she smiles at that um and so i think that was such a like big moment for him that he's just, like he's just grown so much. I'm so proud of our sexy baby. <laughs> Alex, where are you at on this? Um this one is really hard to know what to feel or think. Like I think Roy is so tortured by how things ended. And I think Roy had a very bad moment because people are flawed and they can do really shitty things. I don't say that in a way to say, well, let's forgive him. No, let's not. Let's hold him accountable, right? Let's hold anyone accountable who would say something that disgusting. But I think to me, the vibes between Jamie and Keely have 
been really friendly and healthy. I mean, I think, you know, it stood out to me in, remember at the beginning of season two, when it was one of our little cute little episodes, Kyle, <laughs> I said, you know, it stood out to me. I think it was an, ep- well, it had to be up two. it was whenever he got kicked off the reality show. And she said, you deleted my number. And I was like, whoa, wait a second. And we kind of brought that thread out over the season. I said, you know, regardless of how you feel about an ex, like watching them get better, knowing that's all you tried to do or that's all you had hoped for when you were with them is really hard. And it's not just resentment or jealousy or anything like that. But it's like when you see someone's best self and they just never quite get there because of whatever is holding them back and then you watch them achieve that either on their own or with somebody else, it's hard. Because you remember like you invested in that best self even when it wasn't there. So you're watching it play out and you're like, wait a second, like this was the person I loved. You know, if they end up together, like they'll, again, they'll earn it. The writers will earn it. I don't, I really think it's going to be a rom-com ending for Roy and Keely. I think there's going to be a grand gesture. I think there's going to be a reckoning of I'm an idiot and I'm stupid and I'm sorry. And I think the big thing with Jamie is like, she has peace with them. I mean, think about it. We all have like at least one, maybe multiple shitty exes who were probably shitty for like non-Jamie reasons, but you know, we resent them for what they put us through. They, we resent them for like, did I mean anything to you? Because you treated me like I was nothing and that's why I left. And so like to get that kind of closure after the breakup of like, oh, okay, so you've grown and I've grown and we can have that. I think that's really important. I mean, I don't see them getting back together, but if they do, I don't think it'll be a surprise. And they're not going to leave Roy high and dry, but I don't think they'll put him with the teacher either. I think no, we would have she, seen her no. this season. Yeah, 100%. I, I just think, true. you know... <laughs> It's a lot like uh, it's a lot like me and Paul Bettany, really. Like it was hot and heavy yes. during a night's tale <laughs> I was and a beautiful mind. And then there was that <laughs> long stretch where I was like, "How could you do this to me? Like you were supposed to be it." And then Jennifer it, Connelly, really? Yeah. Well, and then and then and then finally he cashes in all the stock I bought in him. He's starring in you know he makes that Marvel money. Stars in Uncle Frank, the Amazon Prime movie, which was lovely, made me cry, and and it's like it's all happened, and I'm I'm so happy for him that he's grown, and he you know we're finally appreciating him like we should. So it's that exact. Please, that exact please note, thing. please note that his wife Jennifer Connelly, however, is in a movie that made more money than his movies because she was in Top Gun Maverick. Thank you very much. The Connelly Bettany great great grandchildren <laughs> will be doing fine. But yes, <laughs> that, that family is doing okay financially, which is good. I think I've said this really quick. I think I've said this on the podcast before as an aside. Maybe this is why I thought we did Wimbledon at one point. But there's a scene in Wimbledon where it's one of those like late night, like he's sneaking out to go see what's her face things. And John Favreau's in his bed, his agent. And so the scene is like Bettany crawling over him to get out of bed. And if you pay attention, like listen really closely, you can hear Favreau say, Oh, Jennifer. And Bettany starts laughing. Like he broke in that scene and they kept it. It's really amazing. (laughs) So good. So good. Glad I got a Paul Bettany reference in here. Uh, Best time, worst time. I have an obvious candidate for worst time. And that is Nate's divorced assistant. He has been divorced three times, paying (laughs) alimony times three each month. Must be horrible. (laughs) Guy is having a terrible time every month when direct deposit hits. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Uh, The actual answer is probably Keely. Worst time. Keely's having a terrible time. Yeah. 
Um, Do we think Doctor the best time? Henry has a great time? Do we think Doctor Jacob has a bad time? I think he thinks he had a good time. I think he thinks it yeah. went well. He thinks it went very well. Yeah. He's very, yeah, he's very oblivious to the emotional circumstances that he is is in, and which is not great if you're a therapist, honestly. Um, but like, yeah, I was gonna say, it's like not the best quality. But not not having the self awareness of how you need to both assert yourself in talking to Ted about this scenario, and if you are, I mean, the most important thing if you're dating a single parent is how you are with that child. And that's not just like being nice to them, but that is forming some sort of bond and not coming on yes. too strong. Like, I I mean, yep. I will say like, I am extremely fortunate. My wife is an incredible mom and has been everything I could have ever hoped for. But that, mm-hmm. that takes time, both parent and child. And Dr. Jacob seems to be like, he thinks he's about to cross the finish line and he's in the starting gate and he doesn't realize it. He doesn't know it. And like, look, we want potential step parents to all be great. Like, that's the dream, right? The worst case scenario is they're a shitty step parent. Like, you want your ex to end up with somebody wonderful who your kid loves, but it was just very evident. <laughs> like, or in the show, like, it's not, you know, in the fact that I don't know. I just thought it was, it was just very funny. What a dork Jake is. No, for sure. Um, Lenny Harris pinch hitter award for best supporting character. Again, who's a support? I, again, Henry, 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 was Henry, great. Henry was the good. busker. <laughs> I think the busker is saying, Hey Jude. Now he, he was, was good really too. Great. Um, Higgins was outstanding. Yeah. He's the Trent usage rate on Higgins and Danny this season has been incredible. Mm. Come in, take eight corner threes, make all of them. Sub out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the big chill. I think the beard. I think the whole Hey Jude scene is big chill. For sure. Yes. Like, An argument for Jamie showing up at Keeley's. That gave me a different kind of chill. <laughs> Down your <Yeah>. spine. <laughs> Just, oh no. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Michael Myers showing up at the door to my emotions. Um, again, I shouldn't, like, I shouldn't be so... I have faith in the writers that however they end this, it will feel earned and it will feel right. And it will feel honest to these characters. I'm just, my loyalties lie where they lie. And that's, that's all, that's all to quote Forrest Gump. That's all I have to say about that. Um, (laughs) With that four episodes left, what needs to be answered? What might be answered? What are we looking for? What's immediate? I think Colin and Isaac are immediate. Yeah. And, Per the uh, preview for next week, which has now popped up um, since the episode's out, um, it says they have tension. And again, to reiterate, if that tension is anything other than him saying, I thought we were close enough that you would tell me, um, then I will be devastated. <laughs> uh, but that, that I need I need that to be resolved as soon as possible yeah. because yeah. that is what's going to give me the most stress because i had stress watching every new scene that came up and being like not colin and isaac talking about this um that's number one on my list number two or one b 
is where the hell is the Dutchman? Uh, two. I mean, probably be, in Holland, um, I would guess. Yeah. Well, <laughs> fine. <laughs> I need him to be in Richmond. Um, and then I'll go. Uh, that I need. I think I'm. I think I need Jack out now. Like I need a little bit of like what's going to happen with Keeley. I hope it doesn't. If, I mean, I don't know how it wouldn't. But I don't know if it doesn't affect job stuff, obviously. Um, but I think we need to leave at least a couple episodes runway for Roy to um, land that plane. <laughs> Alex, what do we get next episode? What are we? What are you thinking? I don't know. Like I'm so like I'm so bad at like the next episode stuff. I just I thought of something though, and I'm I'm gonna replace my answer with this that has nothing to do with it. Do you remember what Beard said to Ted when they thought Henry had been bullied? The they said we fly fly to Paris. Yeah. If we get on a plane right now after a layover <gasps> in Paris, Alex, we can be in Kansas by when they're both gonna come and be at the airport. It is a rom-com. Well, we never denied that. This was never an issue. It's not like a rom-com like in its purpose, but like I think it's going to end a very rom-commy way. Man. Whew. What? Well, Those are my party. I'm thoughts. excited. I'm looking forward to it. Cannot wait for the next episode. They are, I mean, they're landing the plane. That, that landing gear's down. Literally. Seems like it's real smooth. Runway's lit up. Whatever other plain analogies i can make like the, the things seem to be going well the tray tables are up um <laughs> i've wrapped up the movie i'm watching so i can just like be have my backpack ready to get off the plane he's checked what carousel his baggage is coming yeah. out on just kidding he doesn't check his bags you get me oh i i fly southwest of course we checked the bag. bags fly free oh Cod's nice airline. hell bags yeah fly free <laughs> Well, yeah, take off. <laughs> <laughs> Bags fly free and then get stuck on a tarmac in Denver for 30 days. With You should have said that you wanted him on the plane with you. <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, with that, y'all, this was great. Everyone check out Bet for the Win and For the Win. Follow all of us on Twitter. Check out from Phenom to the Farm if you like baseball. Just go to the Patreon if you support the show. If you want to support the show. And uh, we'll see you next week at a time and date undetermined. Thanks for listening. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.